0: Welcoming matters. Welcoming matters. Welcoming has eternal implications. Welcoming matters because you never really know who you're welcoming or what the impact of your welcome will be. Luke's Gospel describes a time when a Pharisee invited Jesus over for dinner but failed to welcome him. During that meal, a woman with a scandalous past started washing Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair, and this shocked all of the the proper right sort of religious folks who were gathered around the table. And when the muttering began, Jesus compared that Pharisees' pathetic welcome into his house to this woman's wholehearted welcome into her very heart and soul. salvation came to dinner that night, but everyone who thought they had it all together spiritually failed to welcome it in. Meanwhile, a sinful and broken woman welcomed it in with all of her heart, and her sins were forgiven. See, welcoming impacts those who are being welcomed, and it impacts those who are doing the welcoming. We are all changed for the better when we practice genuine and loving welcome. A truly welcoming spirit towards others is an integral part about shining the light of Christ into the everyday lives of people we encounter because we live in such an unwelcoming world. I would say that's more true in Northern Virginia than just about anywhere else because we live in a terribly impersonal place. You might have noticed this. Right? We have a strong tendency to not even know our neighbors. Right? As we Struggle under the burdens of our busyness and our stress, we wind up being too busy to welcome people into our lives. And so we have a situation that I'm very personally familiar with, right? Where we wave to our neighbors for years. And we don't we struggle to remember their name. And we certainly don't know their story, their situation. We know nothing of their lives. Last Memorial Day, we invited everybody. Over, in, over to our house for for dinner. Everybody from the church, and we invited our neighbors too because we were going to be annoying and fill up the streets with cars. And you know, not only did we not know our neighbors, but we had neighbors who had lived within half a block of each other for 25 years who did not know each other. This is Northern Virginia. This is the need to be welcoming. For those who experience this loneliness and this sense of isolation that is so common here, an authentic welcome into our homes and hearts goes a long way towards opening their hearts and minds to the reality of the work of God and the good news of Jesus Christ. And God has laid out a vision for our church to be a lighthouse for Christ at the corner of Clipper and Mariner, and that vision begins with welcoming in because of that importance of a genuine, heartfelt welcome into people's lives. Welcoming in is all about loving God and loving our neighbors inside and outside the walls of this building. It's about investing meaningfully into the lives of others and seeking out and enjoying their investment in our own lives. It's about inviting, it's about welcoming, it's about befriending, and ultimately caring deeply for one another. Genuine welcoming, where we are really excited to see old friends and make new ones, where we are welcoming God's presence into our lives and our worship, that shines a powerful light in a world that is dark and is lonely all around us. That's why it is so important that as we be the lighthouse this year, as we live this vision that we have been given for 2019, we must each be welcoming. It's not the job of a committee or a pillar or a team. It is the job of all of us to be welcoming. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2 commands us, in fact, to be welcoming. The writer says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. As I was translating these verses, I realized there was a really clever wordplay going on in here in the original language. Verse 1 commands Philadelphia, the love of our brothers, family love. Verse 2 commands Philoxenius, literally the love of strangers, right? Philadelphia, Philoxenius. You get that sort of common beginning root there. We have translated that hospitality to strangers, but quite literally it is love for strangers. And between the two, they represent a range of human relationships from a complete stranger to a a friend to someone who is as close to us as a brother or sister. I think of this as three concentric circles of welcoming, church, home, and heart. These represent the movement from our first encounter with somebody we've ne- never met before. We welcome them in on Sunday morning or Wednesday night, right, to developing a friendship with them that's based in hospitality, to ultimately developing a special bond as a beloved brother or sister in Christ with some folks by doing life together. And to be the lighthouse, we must do all three of these well. Right? And for some of us who are highly introverted, that can be deeply uncomfortable. But we must do it well. We must be welcoming into church, home, and heart. The commands of Hebrews 13 apply to these three circles of welcoming, and also they invite us into the enormous blessing of pursuing each of these circles. So first, we must welcome everyone into our church. Everyone into our church. I'm going to work the verses in reverse. Verse 2 warns, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Every guest who walks through these doors has a story. I guarantee it. And we need to hear it. Perhaps they've never come to church before and need to hear the gospel. Perhaps they've gotten themselves into a a certain mess in life, and they need a reminder that God still loves them and that there are people who will love them too. Perhaps they're new to the area, and they're just simply looking for that genuine community that is so lacking and elusive in northern Virginia. Perhaps they've been badly hurt by church in the past and are finally summoned the courage to timidly try again. Every person we meet here today is a divine appointment. There are no accidents. God has brought them here intentionally. And we need to, each of us, appreciate this could be their first, last, or only church that they will try in this area. And that means we, the time we spend with them, whether it's a two-minute conversation before or after service, or whether it's the worship service itself, has potentially eternal consequences. And that's why every single one of us here, every single one of us, every single one of you, not just the pastors or the deacons, but every one of us must be welcoming in because the welcome that we provide or fail to provide has eternal impact. The writer of Hebrews says our guests could even be angels checking in as described in Genesis 18 or Judges 6 or the passage that Audra read in Judges 13. And I would ask how many of us have ever seriously considered the possibility that as we're sitting in our comfortable pre-self-assigned seat in church before the service starts and we see somebody we've never seen before, you're like, should I get up and walk two rows back and shake their hand and introduce myself? Have we ever considered the possibility that they could actually be an angel checking in? You know, I don't think that's really occurred to me before in my mind, but I think it's a worthy thing to be afraid, to be concerned about. But I think the point, the greater point is we need to treasure each and every person who walks through our doors on Sunday morning and Wednesday night, whether we've known them for 20 years or 20 seconds, regardless of whether they look like us or look very different from us, whether they are young or old, black or white, male or female, churchy or just clearly unfamiliar with the church life to realize that everyone who walks through our door bears the image of God. This so, is so tied in with Niles' Sunday school class I sat in today, Holy Spirit thing. It worthy of a warm welcome. We're called to be the lighthouse. And that means we each need to be intentional and aware and on the lookout for people we don't know in order to be welcoming in. And not just assume that somebody else is taking care of welcoming people in. It also means we have to be others-oriented when we gather. All right, welcoming in says that we have to be intentional about making this a place that is accessible, comprehensible, and, and comfortable for newcomers. It says for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of those eternal consequences, we need to be willing to lay down some of our preferences and conveniences for the sake of others. It includes things like being careful about our language and our assumptions. It's so easy to fall into using concepts and words that longtime Christians understand or that longtime LRBC members know but that are completely foreign to a newcomer and that's not welcoming. All right, I'll give you an example. Please don't tell a newcomer to go to the breezeway. Because you will not find a single sign in this church that says breezeway because it hasn't had a breeze in 20-plus years. I'm just saying. The signs say main entrance. Point people to the main entrance. Rather than generically saying Wednesday night, because you assume they have so much Baptist pre-knowledge, they know that Baptists get together on Wednesday night and do stuff, Take the extra minute to explain that we get together in the middle of the week because we enjoy spending time together. We eat a family meal together, and then we have Bible study and activities for kids and for youth and for adults. It's small things like that. But we have to be intentional about welcoming guests, right? No matter who you are, no matter how happy you are that morning to to get to chat with your, your old friends or how much you just want a couple of quiet minutes in your seat before worshiping, Instead, choose to be welcoming. Choose to shine the light. Choose to be the lighthouse. Intentionally look for people you don't know and introduce yourself. And the easiest way, right, don't say, are you new here? Because then you run the risk that somebody who's been coming for 20 years says, no, I've been here for 20 years. I just sat on a different side of the church. You can just say, I don't believe we met. I'm Brian. Fill in your own name, of course. (laughs) It has been said that for guests, the most important times are the three minutes before and after the service. You have six minutes to make a kingdom impact on people's lives and the future of this church. Each of you has six minutes every Sunday to make a difference in people's lives. It is easy to be the lighthouse by welcoming in newcomers, but we have to be intentional about it. Now, let me ask you a question. I hope it's an easy one. Who has the spiritual gift of eating lunch? <laughs> right? No, I'm serious. Like, hands up. Who likes to eat lunch? Okay? Who wants to eat lunch for the kingdom of God? All right. See, that's, like, the easiest. Right? I'm not asking you to, like, go to Africa on mission. all I... right. I seriously, I am not joking, I seriously want at least three of you to volunteer right now and every Sunday for the rest of 2019 that you will try intentionally to connect with somebody new each Sunday and invite them to join you for lunch after church. Right? You don't have to buy their lunch. I'm not saying that. Just chat a bit before or after the service. If it looks like there's a little bit of a a connection, then just say, hey, I'm going to Taco Bell, Layla's, McDonald's, Panera, Mod Pizza, in our case, after church. Would you like to join me? Now, not everybody's going to accept your invitation, right? We live in a culture that, that wants to be anonymous, where we quite often are so introverted we want to flee the scene if somebody really is too friendly. But, but honestly, most of the people who leave here between 11.30 and 11.45 are probably going to eat lunch. And so many will join you. Right? Then you'll have a relaxed environment to get to know them, to help them find a place within the church to get oriented. So I am not joking, who's on the lunch team? Who will commit every Sunday for the rest of 2019 to look for somebody to go to lunch with? I want to see some hands, right? We're not we're not stopping. Who are my three people who will say, I will be on your the lunch team for the kingdom of God? All right, Linda and Antonino are on the lunch team for the kingdom of God. I got, all right, I got Valerie. All right, that's three. Anybody else want to be on God's lunch team? Hope wants to be on God's lunch team. Excellent. Right, this is a real commitment. I do want you to take it seriously, right? Commit an hour, uh, you know, every Sunday to try and intentionally eat lunch with a guest. You'll really enjoy it. I mean, even if, if you're like the worst introvert, and again, I am the worst introvert, right? you're still going to find it a blessing. And yet we all must go deeper as well. Because true hospitality goes deeper than, hello, a handshake and lunch. See that command in verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. It comes from an era when hospitality clearly meant welcoming people into your home. Not only to eat, but to spend the night. I'm not going that far. We're just in a different cultural setting but it meant bringing people into your home to eat together. And we need to take that seriously, right? We must invite everyone into our church and welcome everyone into our church, but we must welcome many into our home. Philoxenius, love of strangers, hospitality, is about welcoming people we don't know very well into our homes. Now, obviously, you can't and you won't invite everybody. We don't have the capacity to invite every single person in church into our home sometime during a year. But the clear intent of Scripture here is that we should be inviting many people into our home. That while we must welcome everybody into our church, we must also welcome many of them into our home. Now, I... I suspect some of you are feeling very quivery right now because hospitality is a lost art in suburban America. But hospitality, the ancient art of hospitality is so impactful on people's lives, so impactful for God's kingdom precisely because it has been so lost in our culture. It makes us highly distinct from other people. We must make a habit to regularly practice hospitality. Make no mistake, that language in verse 2 is a command. We just don't have an English form that comes off that way very well, so it reads soft in the English. And yes, it is inconvenient sometimes to get into this habit of practicing hospitality regularly, welcoming folks we don't know very well into our home so that we can get to know them better. I get it, we're stressed out and exhausted. I get it, it's a sacrifice of precious time and energy. But let me submit for your consideration that one of the reasons we're so stressed out and exhausted all the time might be because we have too few real human connections that we can actually enjoy. And so instead we fill our days up with frenzied activity and we starve for lack of nourishing human relationships. The regular practice of hospitality is meant to be a blessing, a blessing that connects us with people in a real way, not just the the pseudo-connections that we've learned to settle for over social media. And I realize, not everybody who comes to dinner is going to turn out to be your best friend. And that's okay. That's fine. We're seldom going to regret extending an invitation, a simple dinner invitation, and taking the time to get to know somebody at least a little bit so that when you later see them in church, you at least know a little bit to ask, how are, the, how are your kids, How's your family, how's your mom, how's your dad? Hospitality is a command and an opportunity for all of us, right? Verse 2 is a command. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, but it's also a blessing. And your house does not have to be perfect. Your kids do not have to be perfect. Your pets do not have to be perfect. right? You just have to be willing to run the risk of maybe entertaining an angel or maybe making a new friend. If you're willing to take that risk, then, then what I would say is it is a new year, and so it is a time to step out in faith and, and not settle for the shallow relationships that, that just plague us here in Northern Virginia. Seek out those deeper relationships that begin with hospitality being offered to a relative stranger. Now, if you're sitting here right now and you're like, why would I ever want to invite somebody over to dinner? Nobody invites me to dinner. The answer is because the Bible says so. Don't neglect to show hospitality. So stop sitting around waiting to be invited and start inviting Don't complain that nobody invites you over. Make the first move. Realize a a lighthouse doesn't wait for something else to shine first. A lighthouse shines. Be the lighthouse. Shine. Invite someone to dinner. So I am going to challenge you before you leave here today to extend a dinner invitation to somebody in this room you don't know very well. Can't be your best friend. That's cheating. Someone you don't know very well. When the last song is sung, when the last prayer is prayed, don't make the usual Sunday beeline for the door. Make a beeline to a person and invite them to dinner. You have no idea what blessing might be waiting for you both when you do. Finally, we come to the third circle, the smallest and the most personal circle. This is the command in verse 1. I told you I was working in reverse. Let brotherly love continue. We must welcome some into our hearts. right? We welcome everyone into our church, many into our home, some into our hearts. Right, there's a progression of relationships involved here. We begin by welcoming everyone into our church body. Then we welcome many into our homes. And over time, we find that there are a special few with whom we experience the highs and lows of life. And there won't be very many that we truly become that close to. We don't have the the capacity to do that with many, many people, but we are commanded to have some, some with whom we have genuine Philadelphia, family love, love of brother and sister. As Romans 12.10 begins, love one another with brotherly affection, right? We have to have someone that we are loving as family. You can't be close with everyone, but you should be close with some. For that to happen, we usually need to be part of a smaller community within the church. Could be a Bible study, could be a ministry team, could be a discipleship group, could be an affinity group like Mops, but there's usually got to be a small community. Now this is our five to thrive, it's a the pattern that we're putting forward, we're going to dive into it more next week, pattern for a simple but vibrant life of following Christ. Your small community, the people you welcome into your heart, will typically be found on the on the left side of the chart, over here. Typically either the folks we study the Word with or the folks we serve God's kingdom with. So where's your small community? I want you to answer that to yourself right now. All right, Where is your small community in this church? If you don't have one... You need to find one because you're missing out on several of the blessings God intends for your life as a follower of Jesus Christ. So start with making sure you're part of a Bible study up there and a ministry team down here, right? Because that's usually where it takes place. What's missing in your life as you reflect on this? Right, do you need to get into a Bible study? There's a pretty full listing of them actually in the, our monthly newsletter that you got this morning as you came in. And there are many more in, on Sunday mornings. They're all described on our website. Or do you need to find a place to serve God? Right? Next Sunday we want everyone, and I mean everyone, to go from here over to the fellowship hall immediately after the worship service for our Fire in Your Belly event. I know many of you have been following the videos on Facebook and enjoying them. Obviously, people are having some fun making them, right? But this chili cook-off is actually all about identifying and pursuing the passion that God has given you to serve his kingdom here at Lakeridge. Because as you serve together, you'll find that you not only advance the kingdom of God, you connect more deeply with those you are serving alongside. And the point of all this is that brotherly love, Philadelphia, is one of the joys we should experience in the Christian life, right? We should be experiencing this. But too many of us have closed ourselves off from that kind of joy, that kind of relationship. The joy of family within the body of Christ is that we have people that we know will be there for us in the worst seasons of our lives, the ups and the downs, the victories and the defeats. And God's plan for the Christian life, for our life within the church, is to have that family that we may never have fully enjoyed in our biological family. God wants us to have people in our lives with godly counsel when we're confused with godly correction when we're wrong, with encouragement when we're down, and steadfast presence when we are just suffering or mourning. And it's only possible as we, as we welcome people into our hearts. And yet so many of us, particularly in northern Virginia, we, we surround our hearts with a, a thick hedge wall, of activities and busyness and work and stress and kids' sports and traffic and all those things we we experience here so that nobody, and I mean nobody, can reach our hearts. We're not designed to walk the Christian life alone. We truly need others in our hearts who are demonstrating and receiving brotherly love in order to fully mature as Christians. And because it is so hard to form these kinds of relationships in this area, because our our radical American autonomy really discourages that kind of relationship, we need to be very, very intentional about finding people and welcoming them into our lives and ultimately into our hearts. One of our vision initiatives calls for us to foster fruitful relationships that care for, encourage, mentor, and disciple one another, those don't happen by accident. We have to choose those. We have to seek them out. And when we do, we shine brighter for having come together. We must welcome people into our hearts to truly be the lighthouse. And we need to recognize that our love for one another or lack thereof reflects our own experience of God's love. First John 3.10 is sobering. It says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. If there are not at least a few brothers or sisters in this place that we are loving like brothers and sisters, regardless of whether they deserve it, that's a scary sign for us in our faith. You see, naturally, we live in rebellion against God's will and desire. Naturally, we don't love other people like brothers and sisters. Naturally, we want to sinfully choose what we want over what God intends for us. Naturally, we're at war with God and unable to experience His love because He cannot permit our sinful selves to enter His presence. When Jesus came and lived a perfect, sin-free life and and then chose to suffer and die on the cross as that once-for-all sacrifice needed to pay the penalty for all that sin we pile up in our lives. And he rose from the dead three days later. He opened a pathway for us to be welcomed into God's presence to experience the love of God and have the capacity to show that love to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Through faith in Jesus and our Lord and Savior, our sins are forgiven. We're instantly adopted as children of God despite the sins of our past and even the sins that we are inevitably going to commit in the future. It's through faith in Christ that we're welcomed into God's love and his heart and our hearts are given that capacity for genuine brotherly love that we are being commanded to show in verse 1. Again, that's a command. It reads soft in the English. It's a command. The kind of love that doesn't seek to manipulate people for our own benefit but really desires whatever is best for our brother or sister in Christ. Through Christ, we are filled to overflowing with God's love. That overflow is what we are then commanded to pour into the lives of others. As people loved, who are loved by God, we are called to love others deeply, and, and I would say even dangerously, because we are fully aware of their capacity to break our hearts. And yet we are able to risk it because Christ loved us first and died for us first. 1 John 4, 7 exhorts us, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. This is our call and our commands, to be the lighthouse by genuinely welcoming into our church our home and our heart. It's also our invitation to gather in love as one body, worshiping joyfully as brothers and sisters in Christ filled with the love of God and loving one another. It's, it's as we come together as one body and share in one spirit and know that what unites us is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his body broken, his blood poured out on the cross, confident that that which brings us together is far more powerful than the things that try to divide us by age or race or gender or education or nationality or income. We are one in Christ. We are welcomed into God's family, and and we are welcoming one another into this community this morning as we will be gathering in a moment around the Lord's table to celebrate the sacrifice that makes it all possible. So now we're going to have a a moment of worship and enter a season of prayer before we gather as one. Welcome each other as one body to observe the Lord's Supper. Let us worship.